if you're joining us for the live stream, we're glad to have you with us. I don't think I actually have any announcement. Nope, we do. What? Fourth of July, seven o'clock. Oh, at our house. Yes. I can barely think about this week. Um, Fourth of July, our house, seven o'clock. Um, so for those of you who have been there before, there's, there's fireworks later in the evening, just right from Dover. We have a, a great uh, view from there. Um, so yes, uh, if you want any more details, information, um, see my wife, who will know much better than I do. Uh, so everyone is invited uh, to come to that. So again, July 4th at our house at 7 p.m. So with all that being said, uh, let us draw near before the Lord and worship Him. We, we come to have uh, the instruments of our hearts uh, tuned uh, to uh, be able to sing to the glories of Jesus Christ. We come uh, together this morning uh, to stir up our appetites for the things of God. We come together this morning uh, to renew our minds to the things of God as they are written for us in His Word. So if you are in need of a renewing of your mind, if you need the, uh, the affections uh, stirred up, in you for the things of God, if you are, if your heart feels distant from the Lord this morning for whatever reason, come and retune that instrument of your heart and draw near and let us go before the Lord and let us worship our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen, church. Let's do just that. Let's uh, please stand. Please stand. Let's, uh, let's sing together. Uh, the Word of God says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous work among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Amen. Your wondrous deed. 
continue in worship.
Sorry again. Maybe you can help me out with this one. Here we go. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen. You got it there. Let's worship. Amen. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Darkness. When darkness veils his lovely face, Father, as we just sang these words, I hope we were understanding the words that, we, that, that were coming out of our mouths as we would sing, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. Father, may our eyes and our hearts be focused and directed 
to you, Lord. May you be magnified as we look to Christ, our firm foundation. May that be true for all of us here, Lord. May your church, may you lead your church, God, in that understanding. May we stand firm in Christ, our solid rock. Lord, you're worthy of our praise. May you lead us now, God, into your word and prayer. May we be edified in all things for your glory and your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Church, you may be seated. This time we'll be dismissing our children to their classrooms as well. Amen. Before we pray, there's a couple of things I wanted to draw your attention to. Uh, the first is that, and you may already know this, but sorry, my wire is caught. Um, what was I saying? Appreciate it. Um, what are friends for? Um, what was I saying? Oh, you may already know this, but the so recently, Surgeon General of the United States came out with a an advisory. Appreciate it. That uh, and an advisory from the Surgeon General of the U.S. is intended to draw the public's attention to a. Uh, a significant health crisis, and that significant health crisis is a is a is caused by loneliness. Uh, it considers that loneliness to be an epidemic uh, in the country, and certainly loneliness has always, has been an issue for a long time, uh, but it's been made uh, worse by uh, the COVID uh, pandemic, and made worse even still by social media use. And uh, in the advisory, he. Um, the, the advisory gives uh, different statistics and different results of research and cautions uh, people to beware of social isolation and even talked about the harmful effects of social isolation, that even the mortality uh, rate or the mortality effects upon someone who is uh, socially isolated is even equivalent to somebody who smokes 15 uh, cigarettes a day and that they are putting themselves in significant health risks um, more prone to dementia, uh, stroke, uh, depression, anxiety, and much more. And all that really goes to show, or really goes to tell us, or to remind us that uh, the Lord has not created man to be in isolation, uh, but he, he made man in his image and to know and to, to be known. And how much more uh, do we know this uh, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, and when someone is saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're also, as the scriptures tell us or, and teach us, that they are saved into something. And that is, they're saved into a church. They're saved into a family. They're saved into a community. That is why we are identified as adopted children of the living God. And so, with all that being said, I wanted to continue to encourage you to, to come Sunday mornings, continue to encourage you to be a part of a community group, which we highly stress in the life of our church, because these are means of grace for us as believers. 
Uh, this is how we live in community. The Lord does not save individuals to remain isolated, but he saves them into a fellowship. And so uh, this is intended to be a means of grace, to encourage us, to strengthen us in the faith. We're called to serve, to protect, to encourage, to exhort one another because we are brethren, because we are a household family that belong to the Lord, to belong, who belong to God as our Heavenly Father. And to encourage anyone who is here and is not regularly involved in the life of the church, I would caution you not only about the physical and even mental effects of social isolation, but also the spiritual effects of social isolation that can include, but not, not limited to, backsliding, uh, more patterns of sin, being distanced from the Lord, and could ultimately lead to apostasy or falling away from the faith. And so this is helpful. Community fellowship is incredibly important in the life of the church. And so praise God for that, that we have one another to continue to encourage each other in the faith. And then the second thing I want to quickly mention before we spend some time in prayer is that uh, I leave tomorrow afternoon, or tomorrow morning rather, to go to New Orleans for the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting. And I bring this to your attention to ask you to pray. Um, and I mention this openly only because you can sort of find it out for yourself if you just do the research and know where to look. Uh, there's a lot of turmoil, um, and there's a lot of division. There's uh, a lot of things happening uh, in the SBC. Now, there's a lot of good things happening as well. God still uses the denomination for his glorious purposes and for the evangelization of the world. So praise God for that. We don't want to ignore that. We don't want to dismiss that. Uh, but there are some significant things happening in the SBC, and there is a meeting happening uh, this week. Uh, the most important part is happening on Tuesday, and some of these decisions could ultimately determine the direction of the convention. And I mention this also because just to remind us that, um, that our identity is not grounded in a denomination, that whatever happens in the denomination, whether good or bad, whatever decisions happen, that doesn't define us. Our identity ultimately comes from Jesus Christ. We are believers. We are considered to be Christians, not because we belong to a, a parachurch ministry or a Christian organization or even a denomination. We are identified as Christians because of what the gospel has done in our lives. And so whatever happens, whatever decisions are made, whatever decisions that we might be forced to make in the future, let us remember that our identity ultimately comes from Jesus Christ. So with that being said, let me use to us a passage of Scripture, and then we will pray. In John 14, verse 15, it tells us, If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments, and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Father, your word tells us in James that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. 
And Lord, as believers, as adopted children into your family, we have been graciously lavished with so many gifts. We have the gift of your mercy. We have the gift of the forgiveness of our sins. We have the gift of eternal life. And Jesus also tells us here in the Gospel of John that we have been given another gift upon, amongst the, the many gifts that you've already given to us. You've also given to us your Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your Spirit. You have given to us a part of yourself to be with us, the Helper, the Comforter, the one who guides us into all truth the one who sanctifies us, the one who applies the finished work of Christ in our lives. Father, we praise you for such a wonderful and such a precious gift that we certainly could never have worked to earn. And with that, Lord, we also come before you in the confession of our sins. We ask that you would graciously forgive us, Lord, for the moments when we fail to walk according to your Spirit. Rather than working hand in hand with your spirit and growing in conformity to the likeness of Jesus Christ, sometimes we even, instead we quench the spirit and we work against the spirit whom you have wonderfully given to us. So Lord, as we just sang earlier, Lord, we come with boldness before your throne of grace only because you've given your, to us your spirit and asking that you would graciously forgive us, pardon us of our iniquities and transgressions. And with that same boldness, Lord, we express our gratitude and we rejoice and we worship you because you have given to us your spirit as a reminder to us that you love us. It is through the Spirit, according to Romans 5, that you pour your love into our lives. And it is the Spirit that testifies to our spirit that we are, in fact, children of the living God. So even when we do sin, and we certainly do, you still receive us, and you are still gracious to us when we confess our sins because of your enduring love for us. Lord, would you help us to walk in a manner that pleases you? Help us to pursue those things that are true, that are honorable, that are virtuous. Help us to think on these things. And by the work of your Spirit, please continue to conform us into the image of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for the Pierces this morning who desire for their family members to come to know Christ. And so we join them, Lord, and we plead with them and ask, God, that you would save their unsaved family members. That by your Spirit, Lord, that you remove the blinders from their eyes so that they might be able to behold the glory, your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Please, Draw them to yourself, bring a conviction upon their hearts over their sins so that they might be saved. And Father, we pray for the pigments, Lord, 
Equip them with everything that is good so that they may do your will, working in them that which is pleasing in your sight through Jesus Christ. Continue to energize them and give them your empowering grace to continue to to serve and that they might continue to grow in their knowledge of you and grow in their love for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for the Cragnollis. And Father, even though we are separated by, by great distance, we trust and know that not only will our prayers reach you, but that you might also use our prayers to reach them as well. And so we pray for them and ask that you would continue to strengthen them in the work that you have called them to do in ministering to the sick, healing those who are ill, and sharing the gospel that points to the great physician who is the curer of souls. Give them boldness and a winsomeness to continue to declare your glorious gospel. Lord, provide for their every need in Christ Jesus, their personal needs, the needs for the clinic, the needs for the staff. Lord, bless their home, guard their marriage, and fill them with more and more of your spirit. Father, we pray for a great salvation in New England. We pray, Father that many upon many would come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Father, as we look to the Gospels, as we look to the preaching of your word in the book of Acts, as we look to the preaching of your word throughout church history, we see time and time again the testimony of the power of the preached Gospel in bringing people to salvation. And yet one cannot help but wonder, where is this glorious salvation? Is the arm of the Lord too shortened to be able to save? It's certainly not. Lord, it would seem that there is a that there is not such fervent prayers for the salvation of the lost to energize and to strengthen and empower the preaching of the gospel, whether it's through the pulpit or whether it's through day-to-day conversations. Lord, would you animate churches to pray, to pray hard, to pray fervently for the salvation of the lost. For it is the spirit of prayer that acts as a forerunner to spiritual mercies. So let your church be characterized as a church that prays. Father, we pray for those who are isolated, for those who feel lonely. We pray for those in our church who may, for whatever reason, feel lonely. Lord, would you remind them and help them to know that they have brothers and sisters in Christ. Even if for whatever reason they may not take the initiative and reach out to others, Lord, would you give us sort of this spiritual awareness to know, to know those who may be feeling alone? And that you might help us to go and reach out and encourage 
We pray for our country. We pray for those who feel so incredibly isolated. Lord, we pray that you would bring those with beautiful feet to share the good news of the gospel. They might know that there's a God who loves, a God who cares, and a God who desires to save them and adopt them as their own children and save them into a family. We pray for the SBC annual meeting this week. God, we pray for discernment, for guidance, for wisdom. Father, we pray for your will to be done. We pray that a course would be charted that would lead to right doing, to right actions, to ways that honor and glorify you and only solidify and build greater unity. And lastly, we pray for those for those in the church who work in the areas of administration or customer service. Father, we pray that you would give them your grace each day to deal with the stress of working with perhaps those who are dissatisfied, for those with those who are angry, for those with those who are impatient. Lord, let your people be known by their incredible grace and their patience, even under stress. Lord, give them a winsomeness and that they might have great favor with those that they work with. Father, we trust you for all of these things. And God, we look forward to all that you are going to do. And God, we also, by your Spirit, join our hearts together and pray to you also the prayer that you have taught us to pray in the Scriptures. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, if you would, please turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. The book of Romans, in my opinion, the best book in the entire Bible. which contains one of the most, I think, encouraging chapters in the Bible, being Romans chapter 8, and also contains one of the most also insightful and strengthening passages in the Bible, Romans 8, 26, and 27. So continuing in the topic of prayer, this might be a two-part sermon. I intended to preach one more sermon on the topic of prayer, but depending on how this goes, we might have two more sermons on the topic of prayer, which is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Prayer is a good thing to think about. Romans chapter 8, beginning of verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. For the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we come before you this morning. God, and we ask that by your Spirit you might help us 
Lord, that your spirit might help me to preach your word, and that your spirit might help your precious saints to receive your word. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you might help us, guide us, assist us as we consider your word and your wonderful work in the life of the saints. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Archibald Alexander was 40 years old when he became the first professor of Princeton Seminary. And in his inaugural address, he says this, The student of sacred literature should be possessed of sincere and ardent piety. He should be conscious of his own insufficiency, but confident in the help of the Almighty. Indeed, when we consider the weakness of the human intellect and the various prejudices and false impressions to which it is constantly liable, we must be convinced that without divine assistance, there is little hope of arriving at the knowledge of truth or preserving it when acquired. He who would understand the scriptures, therefore, ought not to lean to his own understanding, but by continual and earnest prayer should look unto the Father of lights, from whom proceedeth every good and perfect gift, and who hath promised to give wisdom to those who lack it and ask for it. Indeed, there's very little that we can do without divine assistance. And as Archibald Alexander makes clear in his inaugural address, we need divine assistance to help us to understand the scriptures, to understand what they mean, who do they ultimately point to, how should they be rightly applied. We need divine assistance even to encourage one another in a way that is Christ-centered, in a way that points us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without divine assistance, how can we withstand the trials that we are called to endure in this life with an eye of pleasing the Lord? How are we to persevere through the temptations that we constantly battle in our lives without this divine assistance? How are we to bear fruit in keeping with repentance without divine assistance? It is no wonder that Jesus says in the Gospels that without me, you can do nothing. Apart from divine assistance that comes to us primarily through prayer, indeed, we cannot do anything ultimately to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. And certainly, we cannot pray without divine assistance. So today we are focusing on the Spirit's role in the prayers of the saints. Again, the passage says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes with, for us with these, these groanings that are too deep for words. So that takes us the first point of our consideration, that is our weakness in prayer. The passage explicitly tells us that there is a weakness in us, and because of this weakness, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. 
so that if we want to pray, and if we want to pray well, if we want to pray in a way that is consistent with the will of the Lord, then we ought to consider what does this weakness mean? So I want to sort of put an eye, a magnifying glass to the word weakness, sort of blow this up to help us to consider what are some of the weaknesses that are in us for which we require divine assistance, for which we require the Spirit to help us in interceding for us. We ought to consider the content and manner of our prayers. And I do wonder, do we ever take a moment to consider the content and the manner of our prayers? It's like writing a paper. When I was in seminary, I knew very quickly that I needed the help of the writing center. When I was in my undergrad, I was just too careless and too dumb to care about my writing, quite frankly. And in part because my professors didn't quite care about my writing either. But when I got into seminary, I learned very quickly that your writing matters a great deal. And so before I submitted a paper to the grader or to the professor, I submitted to the writing center. I want to know what are my mistakes. Does this make sense? Any grammatical errors? And only when I would receive it back and make the appropriate edits would I then go on to submit the paper to the professor. It's a way of considering the content of the paper and what it's communicating and how it's being communicated. So in the same way, do we consider the content and the manner of our prayers? Now the great thing about having God as Father is that God does not expect perfection. God does not perfect a, a prayer that is without any grammatical errors or any such thing. It's like having a child. It's like having one of my kids come to me. Not everything that they say is grammatically correct, but it doesn't make me immediately dismiss them. But I still receive them lovingly and willingly and wanting to hear from them. So in the same way, we should not fear that because our prayers are not completely 100% accurate or without grammar that God will sort of, sort of dismiss us, but God still receives our prayers because He is a good and gracious and loving Father. But still, we ought to consider the content and the manner of our prayers right, as we attach them to the arrows and, and the Spirit launches them into the throne of grace. What's written on that paper that contains our prayers? Because sometimes the content and the manner of our prayers may affect the answer, whether it is a closed door or whether there is a delay of answer. So let's consider what are some of the weaknesses for which we require divine assistance. One of those is ignorance and foresight. Some of it is just our own lack of knowledge that can be helped, that we can grow in, and some of it cannot be helped. Sometimes it's just our lack of understanding the Word. Perhaps we're not in the Word as much as we should be. Perhaps we're not studious when it comes to the Word of God. And that certainly can affect our prayers. But sometimes there are things that we cannot know. There are things that the Lord purposely withholds from us. We don't have the gift of foresight to be able to know how my decision today is going to have repercussions 10 years from now. We don't have that kind of knowledge, nor does God expect us to have that kind of knowledge. And in His divine wisdom, 
he has determined that we should not know all those things. And we must trust that it is for a reason, that it is for our good, that it might be more harmful than helpful for us to have all that information that sometimes we wish to know. You may consider the story of Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers. Now imagine if he knew the outcome. That certainly would have affected his prayers moment by moment, season by season, trial by trial. And his receiving of divine grace through each of those trials, ultimately getting him to where he ended up, as we know, in the book of Genesis. There is a grace that only comes to us moment by moment, activated or accessed by prayer. Another weakness that we oftentimes have that requires divine assistance is our flesh and our desires. Sometimes we allow our hearts to do the leading, and we desire those things that we should not desire. And the Word tells us that there is an opposition against the flesh and against the Spirit. Galatians 5.17 tells us, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And we could also include praying also according to God's will. So sometimes we pray for those things that we are not to pray for. Sometimes we desire those things that we should not desire after. And sometimes we pray for something specific and we will even make a good case for it. We'll go before God and tell the Lord, God, we should have this. I desire this for this reason because this would be good, this would be right. But sometimes... We think that we're praying for bread, we might actually be praying for a scorpion. Another weakness often in us that requires divine assistance is just sin. Patterns of sin have a way of quenching our appetites with these empty calories so that we do not yearn as we ought. Sin pollutes our thoughts so that we do not think as rightly or as biblically as we ought to think and thereby affecting our prayers. Sin blurs our vision so that we do not see clearly as we ought to be able to see and to be able to behold what is good for us and what isn't. Sin pours water into the fireplace of our hearts so that we do not pray as fervently as we should. And sin distances us from God. And as a result, we cannot help but feel distant from the Lord as if he has turned away and keeps stepping away from us when in reality it is us who makes sort of these gradual steps back in our sins, walking further and further away from the Lord. Our sins have a way of affecting our prayers and the answer of our prayers. And there is an, actually an example of this in 1 Peter 3.7. Or says there, likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Another weakness that requires divine assistance is lack of perseverance. Sometimes we just give up. The scriptures invite us to seek, 
to ask, to knock, to keep begging. And sometimes we just stop knocking. We stop asking. We stop pleading. We give up too quickly and too easily. Another weakness is idols. We talked about this a bit last week. What is occupying the throne of your heart? If it is not God, then what you have is an idol. And if an idol occupies the throne of your heart, then that's certainly going to give shape to your prayers. And you'll be offering prayers that are according not to the will of God, but according instead to the will of your idols. Another weakness for which we require divine assistance is praying for those things that we ought not to be praying for. Sometimes the Lord makes absolutely clear that the, that the door is closed, that the answer is no, and yet we continue to pray and continue to pray and continue to pray, sort of trying to barge through a closed door or trying to force a yes answer when the answer has already been determined that it is a no. And this is harmful to us because when we will not accept God's answer, we impede ourselves from receiving the grace that we need in that time to be able to accept the Lord's answer and live with contentment and joy in the Lord. Coldness and indifference can function as a weakness for which we need divine assistance. The great burdens of God as we read about them in the scriptures oftentimes are not the same burdens that we carry. What is most important to the Lord oftentimes is not most important to us. And what is most important even to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ sometimes is not the same burdens for us. That sometimes there's a coldness and there's an indifference. God's zeal for his own glory is just a tiny interest to us. His blazing love for sinners as displayed in the gospel of Jesus Christ is sometimes just a small flickering candle in our own hearts. And so it's because sometimes there is an indifference in us that we need divine assistance. And then there's forgetfulness. We forget. We just forget what we've learned in the scriptures. I'm sure some of you resonate with this experience. There's been moments when I would read the Bible in the morning and then later in the afternoon I completely forgot what I read. We're just forgetful. Forget what we read, we forget what we learned. We forget what we have learned through the preached word. We forget sometimes the requests of our church and our friends. And as a result, we end up just praying the same things for the same things over and over again because we just forget. And one last weakness for which we need divine assistance is lack of meditation. Sometimes we fail to pray biblical prayers that is, prayers seasoned with biblical language because we fail to meditate on the Bible. We fail to pray as we ought because we don't spend enough time mining and digging for the gold that is in the Scriptures. We don't go deep enough into, into the ocean of the Word of God looking for the lost treasures that are there to be found. Sometimes we just settle for just sitting there on the shore, not wanting to get our feet wet in the Bible and just are content with just a casual 
reading of the scriptures. Henry Scrutter had once said, reading the word without meditation is like swallowing raw, undigested food. With the tuning of an instrument, meditation, thinking hard about the Bible, what it says, what it means for your life, has a way of tuning your prayers that they might be be more melodious and consistent with the will of the Lord. I'm sure that we can all resonate with some of these weaknesses, and there are moments when your life is filled with many of these weaknesses at the same time. And it's for these reasons, and perhaps many others, that we need, secondly, the Spirit's assistance. We need divine assistance. It tells us in the passage that the Spirit himself intercedes for us with these groanings that are too deep for words. There's a groaning in the Spirit of God, this groaning that you cannot listen, that you cannot hear, these groanings that are happening as the Spirit intercedes for the saints. It's hard to sort of capture what it means to have like these groanings. You really just know it by experience. Like for example, if you're homesickness, you've been out of home, away, business trip, whatever the case may be, a little too long. Surely you can verbalize that homesickness, but there's something in you that is just like, just wanted to be back into your own bed. Wanted to be back into your own room, back into your own house, to familiarity. Like your very mind, your very body is just wanting so badly to go back. That's a kind of groaning. Earlier in Romans 8 tells us that even creation groans as it waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. That their creation, because it's subjected to futility, is groaning inwardly as it waits for the glorification of the saints. Because when the saints receive their glorification, so the earth will be glorified. And so similarly, the Spirit himself experiences these groanings as the Spirit intercedes for the saints. And this is sort of a kind of painful groaning. It's not a discontent. It's not a dissatisfaction. The Spirit of God dwelling in you and I, because sometimes we do sin and we fail at times. I mean, even Jesus, Jesus never expressed any dissatisfaction in his humanness. So in the same way, the Spirit the Lord is not dissatisfied in dwelling believers and grows because of that. And so what is this groaning for? What is the Spirit groaning after? Like we did with the word weakness, has magnified the word groaning. And what could it mean? What could the Spirit of God be groaning after? One thing the Spirit of God could be groaning after is for the will of God. I mean, that's what the Spirit prays for. There's a deep yearning, a deep desire for the will of God to be accomplished, and more specifically for the will of God to be, to be accomplished and to be done in your own personal life. The Spirit is yearning for it. The Spirit may also be said to be groaning after a greater conformity to Jesus Christ. There is no one else 
that desires for you to be more like Jesus Christ than the Spirit of Christ who dwells in you. The Spirit groans, pants after a greater holiness, thirsts for glorification in the life of the believer. You might be said to have a fervent appetite for a greater pattern of righteousness to characterize your life and mine so that we might walk in greater closeness to the Lord. Like even Enoch walked with God. And not only is there a groaning in the Spirit of God, Romans also tells us that there's a groaning in the believer as well. Romans 8.23 tells us not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There's a groaning in us. There's a yearning after something. That is namely the redemption of our bodies. And that these groanings come in different forms at different times. Right? When there's a trial in your life, when there are temptations that you face, when there is suffering in your life, as a believer, there is a, an internal groaning, a yearning after the end of all sin, the end of all personal sin, the end of all wickedness, the end of all trials and challenges and suffering. And that the Spirit who indwells believers and is united to them by faith that the groanings of the believer, because of that union they shared, becomes the, also the groanings of the Spirit as well. It's a sharing of groaning. And this groaning points to the personal nature of the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit is not a force, it's not a smoke, or like a liquid that fills an empty jar, but the Spirit of God is a person who shares the same groanings that you and I have. The Spirit of God is a person through whom God pours out His love into our hearts, as it says in Romans chapter 5. The Spirit of God is a person who testifies to our spirit that we are, in fact, children of the living God. He's been given to us as this perpetual reminder, you are a child, you are a child, you are a child, you are a child of the living God. Exodus chapter 6, something encouraging there for us. Exodus 6, 5, the Lord says, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Every laceration of the body was a groaning. Every sweat of the brow was a groaning. Every time that they woke up in the morning, still exhausted from the labors of the previous day, was a kind of groaning, groaning, groaning. 24-7, there was this perpetual groaning. And the Lord says, he hears every single one of them. It 
It's encouraging for us is that even when you cannot find the words to express your personal turmoil, your personal agony, your personal distress, your personal anxiety, your personal afflictions, or when you cannot express them as well as you would like, that there is a groaning that's happening. This is perpetual groaning that even though others cannot hear and that even perhaps you may not be able to hear yourself, that God always listens to the silent groanings of his people. And even if the decibel is so low that a human hear cannot hear, God always hears the groans of his people. And he intends to deliver them. The Spirit assists us by the expressions of his groanings unto the Lord and also in sharing in our personal groanings. And the Spirit also assists us in our weaknesses by praying and interceding for us according to the will of God so that even if our weaknesses oftentimes impede us from praying to the Lord or even impeding us from praying in a manner that we should and even impedes us from praying with a content that is consistent with the will of the Lord, there is always one who is interceding for us according to the will of the Lord, and that is the Spirit. And his prayers are always consistent and informed by the will of God. It's like the drawing of a line. Imagine, if you will, say, I don't know, a four-foot, four, a, 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 a straight line, four feet in length, and you were tasked with taking a pencil and drawing upon that line straight all the way through without a ruler. But you cannot go fast. You'd have to go painstakingly slow to try to keep it consistent with the original line. In most cases, we probably fail. There'll be a lot of ups and downs because we cannot keep our hands steady enough because we get distracted. We start thinking about something else and we cannot maintain the focus. The will of the Lord is this straight line. And for the Spirit of God to always pray in a manner that is consistent with God's will means that the, that the line, that the second line that the Spirit draws is just as straight as the original God's will line. Never deviating, never getting off course. In fact, they're so consistent with one another that they appear to be one line. And because God has given us His Spirit to pray for us according to His will, then we can always rest assured that the Spirit always has our best interest in mind. Even if we think we know what's best for us, the Spirit is the one who ultimately knows. And he will always pray in a manner that's consistent with the Lord and has our best interest in mind because God has our best interest in mind. And so he always prays according to the will of the Lord. And it takes the opening of the scriptures from beginning to end to understand the will of the Lord is it takes us entire lifetime to really comprehend and understand the will of the Lord. 
consideration of what it says, consideration of its commandments, what it forbids, of what God desires for us that he's written for us in his word. But I think of Ephesians 6, verses 5 and 7, that I think can capture pretty concisely the will of the Lord and what it means for us to do the will of the Lord. It says, Their bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So concerning the will of the Lord, yes, a passage here speaking specifically to bond servants, but there are implications for us as well. And as it concerns the will of the Lord, doing the will of the Lord first is about the internal. We must do good, desire to do good as to the Lord first and foremost. And then from that, that leads to right actions. That leads us not to the way of eye service, not to the way of pleasing others, but ultimately to please the Lord. So essentially doing the will of the Lord is to do all things with an eye of pleasing Him. And that begins with an internal desire, which then should then give birth to action. It is doing everything with an eye to please the Lord and that the Spirit of God prays to that end for you and I. John sixteen fourteen, speaking about the Spirit, Jesus says that the Spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The aim of the Spirit is to glorify Christ. The aim of the target the Spirit has set is the glory of Jesus Christ. Part of his purpose is to glorify Jesus by taking what is his and declaring it to us. It's one way he does it. But ultimately, the target is the glory of Jesus Christ. And so we can expect that as the Spirit intercedes for us, even with groanings too deep for words, his desire is that God would be, or that Christ, and that God will be glorified in Christ, and that Christ would be glorified in your life. Spirit groanings, spirit prayers, spirit intercession is God's means of guaranteeing that his will will be done in your life. Even when we think that we know what will please the Lord when we really don't, the Spirit is the one who truly knows. And He will always pray in a way that is consistent with the will of the Lord. And in this way, the Spirit is our friend. The Puritan Thomas Boston had once said, The Spirit is the friend who helps the poor man to write up his petition to the king. The Son is the friend who brings the petition to the king's presence and gets it granted. The Spirit is our editor. Again, like submitting a piece of writing. The Spirit's role is not to take your prayers, and if they're not good, to, to toss it, crumple it up and toss it away and offer up new prayers to the Lord. That's not His aim. But His aim is to aid us in our prayers. As we send the papers of our prayers up to the Lord, the Spirit is our editor who only adds and enhances our prayers unto the Lord. 
Spirit is our friend. He's our editor. The Spirit is also our conductor. Like a, not the, like, a, like the kind of conductor at a concert hall. He has this amazing task to, uh, to envision what the music is going to sound like. He has it in his mind. And his job then is to take all of these instruments, to bring them together in unison to fulfill the vision that he has set in mind. And so he takes all these instruments coming together, all together, in order to compose wonderful music that is appealing to the ears of the listener. So in the same way, the Spirit is our conductor, who takes all of our requests, who takes all of our tears, who takes all of our groanings, who takes all of our pains and conducts them and brings them together to, to form this wonderful music. that is wonderful to listen to in the ears of our Heavenly Father. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. We do not know always what to pray for. Sometimes the manner isn't right. Sometimes the content betrays what God actually has in mind for us. But the Spirit knows, and He intercedes, and He helps us. And what else is encouraging about this is that, about having the Spirit aid us in praying before the Lord, is that because sometimes our weaknesses impede us from praying as we should, and sometimes our weaknesses can delay an answer, and sometimes our weaknesses impede our prayers so that the answer is no, because maybe our hearts are not in the right place. The encouraging thing for us is that because the Spirit of God is always interceding for us according to the will of God, that the answer from heaven to the prayers of the Spirit is always yes. It's always yes. Spirit assists us, helps us in our prayers. Now, next week, we'll talk about something else. And that is, because the Spirit helps us in our prayers and assists us, and He can certainly pray much better than we can, even for our own selves, this does not mean that we are excused from praying. But instead, our task is to harmonize our prayers with the prayers of the Spirit. And so then the question is, then, how do we do that? How do we work towards that end? Stay tuned, and we'll talk about it next week. For now... Let us respond to the word of the Lord by taking communion together. So if you haven't done so yet, uh, there are these small cups up in the, uh, in the back table. Feel free at this time to grab one of those. Taking the bread and the cup is 
one of the defining marks of the church. This reminds us of who we are in Christ. This reminds us that we are, in fact, children of the living God. The Lord gives this, this ordinance to those who have professed faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's given it to those who have received baptism. He's given it to those whose life is characterized by walking in repentance. He's given it to those who have been indwelt by the Spirit of the living God. So let's not take this casually, but God intends it to be received as a means of grace. Even if we do not immediately feel any kind of effect or any different, God intends it to be as a means of grace. And that only is received through the Spirit of the living God who indwells believers. So if this is you, if you are characterized by that repentance, by that faith in the gospel, if you're characterized by that baptism that the Lord calls us to be obedient in, regardless of whether or not you're a member here at Seacoast Community Church, you are welcome and invited to take this mirror as a brother or sister in Christ. But if you have yet to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it means that you have yet to be filled or indwelled by the Spirit of the living God, who is the seal of the believer's salvation, who is a guarantee of future inheritance, and who is the one who keeps us unto eternal life. <clears throat> Apart from the Spirit of the Lord, you are separated from Christ. You are still in your sin. But even as we take this meal, consider the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who came into the world to die for sinners, even though he lived righteously and perfectly so, he went to the cross, was crucified, there he died and then was buried and then the spirit of the living God raised Jesus from the dead so that all those who profess faith in Jesus Christ and surrender their life to him might receive eternal life in the spirit of the living God as their helper and comforter. Believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not perish in your sins but receive the forgiveness of your sins by turning to Christ Jesus today. So we will take the bread and the cup, but before we do so, we're going to take some time to just silently reflect, consider the gospel, confess your sins to the Lord, but also remember that this meal is a tangible reminder to you and I that our sins have been forgiven in Christ Jesus. We bear them no more. The guilt is no more. So even as you confess your sins before the Lord, also trust in the forgiveness that you have in Jesus Christ. So let us take a moment to just pause and reflect, confess to the Lord.
So we want to take a bread first, and as we have done so in the past, which I always find helpful as a reminder, even to me, that as I say that this is the body of Christ bruised for you, and you in turn repeat that this is the body of Christ bruised for me, that to remember that this is so, this isn't the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ, but they represent something to us, that Christ Jesus died for you and I. And so even as we take this, let us affirm that. Let us remember that. Let us be confident in that. And, as, and let us do so together, declaring together that Christ Jesus died for us. So then let's take the bread. Brothers and sisters, the body of Christ bruised for you. The body of Christ bruised for me. The same way we'll take the cup. Brothers and sisters, the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. The blood of Jesus Christ shed for me. Father, your grace is overwhelming. Your grace is always abounding towards us. Lord, and what a joy and what a privilege it is to be joined together this morning and take this meal and be reminded of your wonderful and enduring grace. We thank you for your spirit, who is our reminder that we are your children. Even when our own hearts condemn us because of our sins, your spirit is with us to remind us that there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue your glorious work in our lives. Continue to aid us, assist us. Continue to be our helper and our comforter. And teach us to pray. You are the spirit of intercession. And so we pray that you might help us to pray according to the will of the Lord. Teach us to pray. Teach us the word so that we might learn more about how to pray and continue your glorious work in the life of each and every saint here this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand in response of... Uh... <clears throat> response of today's message, let us sing unto the Lord this morning. Amen. Um, this beautiful song.
temptation comes my way. When I cannot stand or fall on you, Jesus, you're my open say. When I cannot stand or fall on you, Jesus, Jesus, you're my open say. pray that your spirit may your spirit Lord produce in us a groaning a yearning as we heard today Father a yearning to walk with you God it's it is comforting to know that you hear you, you, you hear us even in our groaning. Thank you for your spirit, God, as he reveals our sin, but is also interceding for us according to your will, Father. Lord, draw our affections to you. Remove any any idol or sin that has taken the place of your word and prayer. And may your spirit bring us to our knees in repentance, Lord. Teach us how to pray, Father. We need you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Uh, church, God bless you. Amen.